This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Red Abrus. The Mysteries of Udolpho by Anne Radcliffe. Volume 3, Chapter 3, Part 2 of 2. Emily, meanwhile, stunned by the last words of Montoni, forgot for the moment his declaration that she should continue in the castle, while she thought of her unfortunate aunt, who, he had said, was laid in the east turret. In suffering the remains of his wife to lie thus long unburied, there appeared a degree of brutality more shocking than she had suspected even Montoni could practise. After a long struggle she determined to accept his permission to visit the turret, and to take a last look of her ill-fated aunt, with which design she turned to her chamber, and while she waited for Annette to accompany her, endeavoured to acquire fortitude sufficient to support her through the approaching scene, for though she trembled to encounter it, she knew that to remember the performance of this last act of duty would hereafter afford her consoling satisfaction. Annette came, and Emily mentioned her purpose, from which the former endeavoured to dissuade her, though without effect, and Annette was with much difficulty prevailed upon to accompany her to the turret, but no consideration could make her promise to enter the chamber of death. They now left the corridor, and having reached the foot of the staircase, which Emily had formerly ascended, Annette declared she would go no further, and Emily proceeded alone. When she saw the track of blood which she had before observed, her spirits fainted, and being compelled to rest on the stairs, she almost determined to proceed no further. The pause of a few moments restored her resolution, and she went on. As she drew near the landing-place, upon which the upper chamber opened, she remembered that the door was formerly fastened, and apprehended that it might still be so. In this expectation, however, she was mistaken, for the door opened at once into a dusky and silent chamber, round which she fearfully looked, and then slowly advanced when a hollow voice spoke. Emily, who was unable to speak or to move from the spot, uttered no sound of terror. The voice spoke again, and then, thinking that it resembled that of Madame Montoni, Emily's spirits were instantly roused. She rushed towards a bed that stood in a remote part of the room, and drew aside the curtains. Within appeared a pale and emaciated face. She started back then again advanced, shuddered, as she took up the skeleton hand that lay stretched upon the quilt, then let it drop, and then viewed the face with a long, unsettled gaze. It was that of Madame Montoni, though so changed by illness that the resemblance of what it had been could scarcely be traced in what it now appeared. She was still alive, and raising her heavy eyes, she turned them on her knees. "'Where have you been so long?' said she, in the same hollow tone. "'I thought you had forsaken me.' "'Do you indeed live?' said Emily at length. "'Or is this but a terrible apparition?' She received no answer. 
and again she snatched up the hand. "'This is substance!' she exclaimed. "'But it is so cold, cold as marble!' she let it fall. "'Oh, if you really live, speak!' said Emily, in a voice of desperation. "'That I may not lose my senses. Say you know me!' "'I do live.' replied Madame Montoni. But I feel that I am about to die. Emily clasped the hand she held more eagerly and groaned. They were both silent for some moments. Then Emily endeavoured to soothe her, and inquired what had reduced her to this present deplorable state. Montoni, when he removed her to the turret, under the improbable suspicion of having attempted his life, had ordered the men employed on the occasion to observe a strict secrecy concerning her. To this he was influenced by a double motive. He meant to debar her from the comfort of Emily's visits, and to secure an opportunity of privately dispatching her, should any new circumstances occur to confirm the present suggestions of his suspecting mind. His consciousness of the hatred he deserved it was natural enough should at first led him to attribute to her the attempt that had been made upon his life, and though there was no other reason to believe that she was concerned in that atrocious design, his suspicions remained. He continued to confine her in the turret, under a strict guard, and without pity or remorse had suffered her to lie forlorn and neglected under a raging fever till it had reduced her to the present state. The track of blood which Emily had seen on the stairs had flowed from the unbound wound of one of the men employed to carry Madame Montoni, and which he had received in the late affray. At night these men, having contented themselves with securing the door of their prisoner's room, had retired from guard, and then it was that Emily, at the time of her first inquiry, had found the turret so silent and deserted. When she had attempted to open the door of the chamber, her aunt was sleeping, and this occasioned the silence, which had contributed to delude her into a belief that she was no more. Yet, had her terror permitted her to persevere longer in the call, she would probably have awakened Madame Montoni, and have been spared much suffering. The spectacle in the portal chamber, which afterwards confirmed Emily's horrible suspicion, was the corpse of a man who had fallen in the affray, and the same which had been borne into the servant's hall, where she took refuge from the tumult. This man had lingered under his wounds for some days, and soon after his death his body had been removed on the couch, on which he died, for interment in the vault beneath the chapel through which Emily and Bernardine had passed to the chamber. Emily, after asking Madame Montoni a thousand questions concerning herself, left her, and sought Montoni, for the more solemn interest she felt for her aunt, made her now, regardless of the resentment her remonstrances might draw upon herself, and of the improbability of his granting what she meant to entreat. "'Madame Montoni is now dying, sir,' said Emily, as soon as she saw him. Your resentment surely will not pursue her to the last moment. Suffer her to be removed from that forlorn room to her own apartment, and to have necessary comforts administered. 
of what service will that be if she is dying said montoni with apparent indifference the service at leave of saving you sir from a few of those pangs of conscience you must suffer when you shall be in the same situation said emily with imprudent indignation of which montoni soon made her sensible by commanding her to quit his presence then forgetting her resentment and impressed only by compassion for the piteous state of her aunt dying without succour she submitted to humble herself to montoni and to adopt every persuasive means that might induce him to relent towards his wife for a considerable time he was proof against all she said and all she looked but at length the divinity of pity beaming in emily's eyes seemed to touch his heart he turned away ashamed of his better feelings half sullen and half relenting but finally consented that his wife should be removed to her own apartment and that emily should attend her dreading equally that this relief might arrive too late and that montoni might retract his concession emily scarcely stayed to thank him for it but assisted by annette she quickly prepared madame montoni's bed and they carried her a cordial that might enable her feeble frame to sustain the fatigue of a removal madame was scarcely arrived in her own apartment when an order was given by her husband that she should remain in the turret but emily thankfully that she had made such dispatch hastened to inform him of it as well as that a second removal would instantly prove fatal and he suffered his wife to continue where she was during this day emily never left madame montoni except to prepare such little nourishing things as she judged necessary to sustain her and which madame montoni received with quiet acquiescence though she seemed sensible that they could not save her from approaching dissolution and scarcely appeared to wish for life emily meanwhile watched over her with the most tender solicitude no longer seeing her imperious aunt in the poor object before her but the sister of her late beloved father in a situation that called for all her compassion and kindness when night came she determined to sit up with her aunt but this the latter positively forbade commanding her to retire to rest and annette alone to remain in her chamber rest was indeed necessary to emily whose spirits and frame were equally varied by the occurrences and exertions of the day but she would not leave madame montoni till after the turn of midnight a period then thought so critical by the physicians soon after twelve having enjoined annette to be wakeful and to call her should any change appear for the worse emily sorrowfully bade madame montoni good-night and withdrew to her chamber her spirits were more than usually depressed by the piteous condition of her aunt whose recovery she scarcely dared to expect to her own misfortunes she saw no period enclosed as she was in a remote castle beyond the reach of any friends had she possessed such and beyond the pity even of strangers while she knew herself to be in the power of a man capable of any action which his interest or his ambition might suggest occupied by melancholy reflections and by anticipations as sad she did not retire immediately to rest but leaned thoughtfully on her open casement 
the scene before her of woods and mountains reposing in the moonlight formed a regretted contrast with the state of her mind but the lonely murmur of these woods and the view of the sleeping landscape gradually soothed her emotions and softened her to tears she continued to weep for some time lost to everything but to a gentle sense of her misfortunes when she at length took the handkerchief from her eyes she perceived before her on the terrace below the figure she had formerly observed which stood fixed and silent immediately opposite to her casement on perceiving it she started back and terror for some time overcame curiosity at length she turned to the casement and still the figure was before it which she now compelled herself to observe but was utterly unable to speak as she had formerly intended the moon shone with a clear light and it was perhaps the agitation of her mind that prevented her distinguishing with any degree of accuracy the form before her it was still stationary and she began to doubt whether it was really animated her scattered thoughts were now so far returned as to remind her that her light exposed her to dangerous observation and she was stepping back to remove it when she perceived the figure move and then wave what seemed to be its arm as if to beckon her and while she gazed fixed in fear it repeated the action she now attempted to speak but the words died on her lips and she went from the casement to remove her light as she was doing which she heard from without a faint groan listening but not daring to return she presently heard it repeated good god what can this mean said she again she listened but the sound came no more and after a long interval of silence she recovered courage enough to go to the casement when she again saw the same appearance it beckoned again and again uttered a low sound that groan was surely human said she i will speak who is it cried emily in a faint voice that wanders at this late hour the figure raised its head but suddenly started away and glided down the terrace she watched it for a long while passing swiftly in the moonlight but heard no footstep till a sentinel from the other extremity of the rampart walked slowly along the man stopped under her window and looking up called her by name she was retiring precipitately but a second summons inducing her to reply the soldier then respectfully asked if she had seen anything pass on her answering that she had he said no more but walked away down the terrace emily following him with her eyes till he was lost in the distance but as he was on guard she knew he could not go beyond the rampart and therefore resolved to await his return soon after his voice was heard at a distance calling loudly and then a voice still more distant answered and in the next moment the watchword was given and passed along the terrace as the soldiers moved hastily under the casement she called to enquire what had happened but they passed without regarding her emily's thoughts returning to the figure she had seen it cannot be a person who has designs upon the castle said she 
such an one would conduct himself very differently he would not venture where sentinels were on watch nor fix himself opposite to a window where he perceived he must be observed much less would he beckon or utter a sound of complaint yes it cannot be a prisoner for how could he obtain the opportunity to wander thus if she had been subject to vanity she might have supposed this figure to be some inhabitant of the castle who wandered under her casement in the hope of seeing her and of being allowed to declare his admiration but this opinion never occurred to emily and if it had she would have dismissed it as improbable on considering that when the opportunity of speaking had occurred it had been suffered to pass in silence and that even at that moment in which she had spoken the form had abruptly quitted the place while she mused two sentinels walked up the rampart in earnest conversation of which she caught a few words and learned from these that one of their comrades had fallen down senseless soon after three other soldiers appeared slowly advancing from the bottom of the terrace but she heard only a low voice that came at intervals as they drew near she perceived this to be the voice of him who walked in the middle apparently supported by his comrades and she again called to them inquiring what had happened at the sound of her voice they stopped and looked up while she repeated her question and was told that roberto their fellow of the watch had been seized with a fit and that his cry as he fell had caused a false alarm is he subject to fits said emily yes signora replied roberto but if i had not what i saw was enough to have frightened the pope himself what was it inquired emily trembling i cannot tell what it was lady or what i saw or how it vanished replied the soldier who seemed to shudder at the recollection was it the person whom you followed down the rampart that has occasioned you this alarm said emily endeavouring to conceal her own person exclaimed the man it was the devil and this is not the first time i have seen him nor will it be the last observed one of his comrades laughing no no i warrant not said another well rejoined roberto you may be as merry now as you please you was none so jocose the other night sebastian when you was on watch with launcelot launcelot need not talk of that replied sebastian let him remember how he stood trembling and unable to give the word till the man was gone if the man had not come so silently upon us i would have seized him and soon made him tell who he was what man inquired emily it was no man lady said launcelot who stood by but the devil himself as my comrade says what man who does not live in the castle could get within the walls at midnight why i might just as well pretend to march to venice and get among all the senators when they are counselling and i warrant i should have more chance of getting out again alive than any fellow that we should catch within the gates after dark so i think i have proved plainly enough that this can be nobody that lives out of the castle and now i will prove that it can be nobody that lives in the castle for if he did why should he be afraid to be seen so after this i hope nobody will pretend to tell me it was anybody 
No, I say again, by holy pope, it was the devil. And Sebastian there knows this is not the first time we have seen him. When did you see the figure then before? said Emily, half smiling, who, though she thought the conversation somewhat too much, felt an interest which would not permit her to conclude it. About a week ago, lady, said Sebastian, taking up the story. And where? On the rampart, lady, higher up. Did you pursue it, that it fled? No, signora, Lancelot and I were on watch together. And everything was so still, you might have heard a mouse stir, when suddenly Lancelot says, Sebastian, do you see nothing? I turned my head a little to the left, as it might be thus. No, says I. Hush, said Lancelot. Look yonder, just by the last cannon on the rampart. I looked, and then thought I did see something move. But there being no light, but what the stars gave, I could not be certain. We stood quite silent to watch it, and presently saw something pass along the castle wall just opposite to us. Why did you not seize it, then? cried a soldier, who had scarcely spoken till now. Eh, why did you not seize it? said Roberto. You should have been there to have done that, replied Sebastian. You would have been bold enough to have taken it by the throat though it had been the devil himself. We could not take such a liberty, perhaps, because we are not so well acquainted with him as you are. But as I was saying, it stole by us so quickly that we had no time to get rid of our surprise before it was gone. Then we knew it was in vain to follow. We kept constant watch all that night, but we saw it no more. Next morning we told some of our comrades, who were on duty on other parts of the ramparts, what we had seen, but they had seen nothing and laughed at us. And it was not till to-night that the same figure walked again. "'Where did you lose it, friend?' said Emily to Roberta. "'When I left you, lady,' replied the man, "'you might see me go round the rampart, but it was not till I reached the east terrace that I saw anything.' Then, the moon shining bright, I saw something like a shadow flitting before me, as it were at some distance. I stopped when I turned the corner of the east tower, where I had seen this figure not a moment before, but it was gone. As I stood, looking through the old arch, which leads to the east rampart, and where I am sure it had passed, I heard all of a sudden such a sound. It was not like a groan, or a cry, or a shout, or anything I have ever heard in my life. I heard it only once, and that was enough for me, for I know nothing that happened after, till I found my comrades here about me. Come, said Sebastian, let us go to our posts. The moon is setting. Good night, lady. Eh, let us go, rejoined Roberto. Good night, lady. Good night, the Holy Mother guard you, said Emily, as she closed her casement and retired to reflect upon the strange circumstance that had just occurred, connecting which with what had happened on former nights, she endeavoured to derive from the whole something more positive than conjecture. But her imagination was inflamed, while her judgment was not enlightened, and the terrors of superstition again pervaded her mind. 
End of Volume 3, Chapter 3, Part 2 of 2 Recording by Red Abris, June 2008